I used to be judgmental. I used to be critical. I used to guilt the people I loved. I used to make them think that they were wrong and I was right. I had to be right because if I was wrong, that exposed some fears and vulnerabilities in me and I didn't want anyone to see those things. So I made sure that the focus stayed on them and that I made them feel bad. And those are all emotionally abusive behaviors that I am helping other people heal from now. I mean, it took a long time for me to heal from those things, but that's what I do over at healedbeing.com. If this is you and you want to change that behavior, check out the program that's changing lives and relationships, healedbeing.com. Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, and I'm here to help you learn to deal with difficult people and tackle life's challenges without compromising who you are. This show consists of my personal opinions and is meant for informational purposes only. Always seek a professional for your mental health and well-being. And yes, I brought up judgment at the very beginning of the show, talking about my Healed Being program. The uh, issue I had, or one of the many issues I had, when I was married and before that in every single relationship I was in was that I needed for the person I cared about to conform to my standards. It's a very vulnerable thing for me to say, but I've talked about it a lot last 10 years, but it's still something I don't like to admit. And it is something that it took a long time to heal from. Well, once I discovered it, it didn't take too long, but it took a long time to figure it out. It's like I didn't know why my relationships kept failing. And so uh, I discovered one day, that one day being when my wife said, or my ex-wife said, she didn't want to be married to me anymore. I discovered that during that alone time, reflecting on my own behaviors, probably for the first time, uh, I discovered that I was hurtful. I didn't know it was emotionally abusive back then, but I said I was hurtful you know, to myself. I was hurtful to this person, this person I'm supposed to love, this person I'm supposed to dedicate myself to and live life with as an equal and hold hands and walk into the sunset together. I was hurtful toward her. I made everything I said in the beginning. I made her feel guilty. I made her feel like she couldn't do anything right. It's it's disgusting. It really is. I'm telling you my own disgusting behavior when I was younger. Not that much younger, but younger. I was a younger person and a different person. After I started this podcast, it was... Uh, it was pretty much into my healing process. I was just starting the healing process back then. And I knew there were still things I needed to work on. I mean, I had dealt with the judgmental stuff and I had been working on that. And I've been dealing with um, other selfish things, a lot of selfishness in emotionally abusive behavior. And so uh, I started the podcast and was continuing to work on myself. And um, geez, you know, was it 2014, I think? I even talked about my divorce on the podcast. 
There was one episode where I said, well, my wife wants a divorce or we are getting divorced. I forget how I said it. And I don't think I'll ever listen to that episode again, (laughs) but that's what was going on in my life back then. I was very transparent. It was part of my healing journey to be transparent, not only with myself, but with the world. Like I decided to take a massive step into healing and a massive step of accountability with the world by creating this show. I mean, this wasn't the reason I originally created the show, but since I had it and I was getting divorced and I discovered these things about myself, I decided to be very transparent about what was going on in my life and what I was learning. So for those of you who were fortunate or unfortunate enough to hear the very, very early episodes of The Overwhelmed Brain, you probably remember when I talked about this. And I don't know if those episodes are accessible anymore. After 10 years and hundreds of episodes, it it may not be available, but maybe, maybe you'll find something out there that still distributes those. But um, it's not something that I'm going to redistribute. (laughs) The, the, The show was different back then. It was different. And actually, I may put them in the patron program. If you're a patron, you may see those episodes, uh, I don't know, eventually. But I'm mentioning this because I believe when we're on a personal growth journey and we're on a healing journey, that um, it's not always necessary to be transparent with everyone and expose yourself and you expose all your your problems and your behaviors to other people and tell them this is how I am and this is who I am. It's not always necessary, but I tell you what, when you do that, you create accountability in your life because you told someone like uh, I told the world through the podcast that uh, I got a divorce and I have these issues and I didn't mention all these issues now, but I have issues I have to work on. And throughout the years, I would say something like, Oh, I still have this trigger. I still have this trigger that comes up every now and then. I I need to work on that. So lots and lots of years went by and lots of healing, lots of reflecting. Like something I teach in that program, Healed Being, I, I talk about if you want to stop being hurtful to someone else, stop focusing on them. Stop focusing on that person. Because the more you focus on them, the less you're focused on yourself. It's like some, something I answered in the support group today. I talked about, what was it? Oh, somebody asked about, well, what does focusing on yourself mean to you? It's a great question. What does focusing on yourself mean to you? And so I answered it. The, the, the answer I came up with is a sort of a mantra that I tell myself. And I, I think this is a good mantra. <laughs> I think this is a good mantra, if you even want to call it that. But it helps me redirect the focus from anyone else. You know, if I'm focused on them, wanting them to change, wanting them to do something different, wanting them to be a different person, wanting them to stop behaviors I don't like. As soon as I find myself wanting them to change and wanting to say something to control them, I tell myself, if I have a problem with them, it's my problem, not theirs. That's it. That's what I say. I said, if I have a problem with what they're doing, that's my problem, not theirs. That helps me refocus. That helps me get my attention back where it belongs. And 
where it belongs is what I'm going to do about it for myself. If that person bothers me, it's my problem, not theirs. The main reason this works for me, I think I mentioned this not too long ago, but the main reason this works for me is that the person I used to be would want to change or control that person. So the person I used to be would say something or do something or make them feel bad or try to change or control them in some way that certainly is unhealthy. And so, I mean, trying to change or control anyone is not very healthy anyway. There's, there are circumstances maybe, but for the most part, that's something that you really don't want to do because nobody likes to be controlled. Nobody wants to be changed. At least they don't want to be forced into change. You might love change. <laughs> maybe you don't, but nobody wants to be forced into doing it. You must do this. Otherwise, I'll be unhappy with you. The whole thing has a negative vibe to it. But my mantra is, if I have a problem with them, that's my problem, not theirs. And so I repeat that or remind myself that whenever I feel a judgment or criticism come up. And what that does is cause me to focus on myself and ask myself, well, what am I going to do about it for me, about me? And where was I going with that? I was saying that, oh, it, it takes my focus off of them because the person I used to be would try to change or control them. And I never want to be that person ever again. So I decided that if I have a problem with them, that's my problem, not theirs. And that is how I navigate out of old abusive behavior. Not that I think it's going to come out, but sometimes we're triggered. Sometimes we're triggered and we say things that hurt people. Sometimes we want to change or control them, like I was saying. And if that's where you go, you're going to erode the relationship. You're going to dissolve it. Every time you are critical or harsh or judgmental or put someone down or belittle them or make them afraid or make them feel like they're, they can't do anything right, any time you do something like that with anyone else, you erode the relationship. If you've ever wondered why somebody feels more distant and you're trying to figure out, well, why can't they just connect with me? Why won't they just connect with me like they used to? It's probably because something I just said. Not always. I mean, there are other reasons, of course. But this is often what happens, is we get into a mindset that someone needs to change for us. We need to remind them how to change or tell them how to change. We need to tell them what's good for them. We need to show them the way. That used to be me. And every time I did something like that, it never went well. I'm here to share that that doesn't go well. And it absolutely erodes love and connection. And when you erode love and connection, what a kind of relationship is left over? What's left? It's hanging by a string. And some relationships hang by a string for years. What I've noticed also is that um, the person being judged, the person who feels like they're being controlled or manipulated or lied to or made to feel they can't do anything right, the person who, who gets that kind of treatment over and over again, they tend to try harder. 
This is something that happens in emotionally abusive relationships all the time. You have one person that pushes in a way. They're, they're pushing or imposing upon the other person. They're trying to make the other person conform to their standards. They're trying to change or control the other person. And the person who feels that, the person on the, on the receiving end of that, they, they tend to try harder. They tend to take the blame. They tend to think that maybe they are doing something wrong. And so what ends up happening is that they try harder to please the person that's pushing or imposing upon them or trying to control or change them. And as they try harder, it gets harder. And what usually happens is the abusive person in this case is creating a situation where the other person will never ever be able to meet the standard. So even when the person they're hurting attempts to meet the standard and even meets the standard, it's never enough. It's just never enough for the person that's constantly pushing and trying to make another person do what they want. That's the kind of relationship that erodes is when you want to make somebody do what you want. And the irony is, is that you can be a victim of this kind of behavior and the victim will often say, I wish that person would change. That's the irony because they both want the other person to change. The difference is one is trying to enforce that change and the other one just hopes it happens. And I'm not saying that there can't be two hurtful, abusive, whatever people in a relationship. But this is the common scenario is that you have one person that wants the other one to change and will try to make them change. And the other person that wants the other person to change, but does their best to accommodate and doesn't attempt to change them. They want them to change, but their method of trying to help them change is usually suffering. And this is what happens. The victim of emotional abuse will suffer and hope that the abuser will see their suffering and stop. So this dynamic plays out where one person is trying to control or change the other person and uh, the other person simply wants the other person to change but doesn't try to control or change them. I don't know if I'm confusing you, but <laughs> the whole idea is that or at least the irony is that they both want the other person to change, but the hurtful person actually implements that change by doing behaviors that try to control the other person. And so um, why is this important? I think it's important to understand that when you're in a relationship with anyone, be it family, friend, partner, whoever it is, when you feel like you're being controlled and you try harder to accommodate and make them happy, you're probably being victimized. When you are trying to control someone else and you are saying things and doing things to make them feel bad, you're probably being, and I hate to say this, abusive. And if you're not being abusive, you're probably at least being hurtful. And when we hurt those we love, the love and connection dissolves. And who wants a relationship with somebody that um, there's no love and connection or at least a dissolving one. And this is what happens. We, we can do this to ourselves. We can actually become hurtful to someone, dissolving that love and connection 
and then wonder why there isn't more love and connection. But we can facilitate this, or at least someone in your life can facilitate this. So if you feel more distant from those you love, is it because they want to change or control you? And that is a good question to answer, because if you're wondering why you feel distant, that could be it. I had a 13-year relationship with somebody that I wanted to change and control. I wanted her to change, but I never directly told her what to do. I also never told her directly what was on my mind. I never showed her anger. I never showed her my fears. I wanted her to see the perfect me. And so I didn't show up as the authentic me. I just showed up as someone I believed that she could look up to, that she would find attractive. And so I showed up as this person that wasn't really who I was. I was a scared little child. I was afraid of being alone. I was afraid of abandonment. I was super clingy and codependent and I was a people pleaser and all these things in the relationship that uh, drained her. And for 13 years, she stood by and just tried to accommodate and tried to have a relationship with me. She didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing. And we just kept trudging forward and I thought everything was great until one day it wasn't and I thought where does she go she's so distant and disconnected and it took me many many years to realize that she had been disconnecting from me for a long time and then she finally reached what I call her threshold she finally reached a threshold where enough is enough and I honestly don't believe she knew why she was feeling distant from me. I think she said, um, I don't know, but it's just time. It's just time to, to stop this relationship. It's time to end it. And I thought, why? What's going on? Because I'm the same person, which was the problem. <laughs> I'm, the sa- I'm the same person I've always been. So what's the problem? I'm treating you nice. No, I'm not. I had these covert behaviors that um, were a problem. I made her feel bad in small ways, and I didn't realize what I was doing until many years later. So when the relationship ended, it was a total shock. (laughs) Why is this ending? I'm perfect. (laughs) That's who I was. I felt perfect. I felt like the best partner. Judgment and criticism and all the little things that we say to people, to put them down, to make them feel bad, to poke at them, dissolve love and connection. And so that's something that I have kept in mind. And I always go back to my mantra of if I have a problem with them, it's my problem, not theirs. Because as soon as I make it their problem, guess where my focus is? It's on them. And I want them to change. And I'm going to say and do things to make them change. I'm going to throw in a little passive aggressiveness. I'm going to be a little bit of a jerk. I'm going to say things that I'll probably regret later. But if it's my problem and not theirs, that means I'm unable to accept them for who they are. I'm unable to look at someone and say, I accept you for who you are. And if I don't like who you are, then I need to make a decision for myself and choose to be with you or not. That's hard. Because all they have to do is make this one change and we'll be happy. That was my belief for many years. 
All she has to do is make this change. Why doesn't she make this change for us? Why is she being so selfish? But really, it was on me. I couldn't accept her for who she was. Anyone in my past. <laughs> Anyone that I was in a relationship with. If you're listening now, I'm sorry. That's not who I want to be ever again. That's who I was. But I will never, ever be that person again. More accountability, right? This is me putting it out there. I will never be that person again. I'm not sharing this to tell you my life story. I'm, I'm sharing this because I think telling you what happened in my life will help you relate to things in your life and make sure that you're on the right path because I took so many wrong paths. I took so many wrong steps in the wrong direction and those steps led to heartache. Those steps led to sadness. Those steps led to depression. I took so many wrong steps in the wrong direction that thankfully, about 15 years ago, I started realizing what the hell I'm doing. I'm going in the wrong direction. What does that mean? That means I have to take responsibility for my life. I have to take responsibility for my decisions. And I have to take responsibility for all my relationships failing because of what I was doing. That doesn't mean when you have a problem in your relationship is automatically your fault, but there is a contribution you make to the dynamic of a relationship. And how you show up either strengthens or weakens the relationship or keeps it the same. Sometimes it just goes along on a, on a steady path and that's fine. But you definitely don't want to weaken the relationship. And sometimes we have arguments. You know, I was just talking to my girlfriend yesterday. I said, you know what? We argue in a great way. <laughs> I said, I said, I love the way we argue. I don't like getting into arguments. And then she said, you know, we don't argue that much. And I said, I know, I know, I know. But um, when we do, it's really healthy. And she stopped and listened. And I said, um, you know, when you're yelling at me <laughs> or talking loudly, when you're saying these things, I know I need to shut up and listen. I don't think I said it that adamantly, but I said, I know I need to be quiet while you're talking and listen. And I said, the great thing is not only do I do that, but you do that too. And I said, when we argue, and it can, it can get really heated sometimes. I said, when we argue, we both listen. In fact, what's even better is not only that we both listen to each other, but when one of us makes a good point, one of us backs off. Who does that? I mean, it's like when my girlfriend says something like, well, you never did that for me. And I think, oh my God, maybe she's right. <laughs> maybe she's right. And I stop. I stop defending my point because she made a good point. She made a valid point. I listened and I accepted that was a, a, a true thing that she said. And I have to step back and reflect on that. Because what happens when you argue, right? You don't reflect. We don't take the time to, a lot of us, don't take the time to reflect. We just keep arguing our point. And then soon we're so attached to our point that it doesn't matter what they say anymore. We just want to be right. It's like um, a fight or flight going on. I just have to win this battle. I have to win or I'll be damaged or hurt. And I can't 
do that. I can't do that to myself. It's too scary. And so I love how we argue. <laughs> I do. I mean, I don't like arguing at all. Neither she, neither does she. But um, as we've gotten through some tough stuff throughout the many years we've been together, we've discovered that um, after you get through the tough stuff and really be honest about the stuff that we're talking about, just be honest, putting it out there, that uh, once you're through it, the rest of it gets easier because we're willing to listen and we're willing to accept that the other person made a good point. But if I was the type of person I used to be and I wasn't willing to listen and it was more important for me to be right and stay in control, then the relationship would fail. It would dissolve and dissolve and erode into failure. That's where it goes. It just continues dissolving and eroding into failure. And when that happens, what do you have left? Because soon you'll dissolve everything. You'll dissolve any connection that you have left. And eventually you won't have any. And then sometimes the only connection left is not loving, but practical. Or I've got nothing better to do, so I'm here. So we don't want that. I mean, I don't want that. I'm sure you don't want that. But what happens between two people in a relationship is that it's either strengthening or weakening or staying the same. And I 100% know that every time you put someone down or make them feel guilty or make them feel like um, their dreams are stupid or they're stupid or they're unattractive or any time you put someone down, it dissolves the love and connection. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to look to you as the source of feeling bad. They're going to look at the person hurting them and putting them down and making them feel guilty as the source of unhappiness. You don't want to be the source of unhappiness. And I hope nobody is the source of unhappiness in your life. But that's what can happen and does happen all the time. You don't want to be a source of someone's unhappiness. Because as soon as you do that, as soon as you start putting people down and judging them and criticizing and making them feel like an idiot, making them feel unattractive, whatever it is, as soon as you lower their self-worth and self-esteem, as soon as you make them feel like they can't do anything right, you dissolve love and connection. And once that's gone, sometimes you can't get it back. Sometimes it's gone for good. I never want that to happen to you. But if you need to hear this, or somebody in your life needs to hear this, it's just so important to remember how to treat someone else. Even if you don't want to say anything good, try not to say anything bad. <laughs> try not to say anything that you know will make them feel bad. That's kind of my definition for emotional abuse, is making someone else feel bad. Or making someone else feel like they are worthless or less than worthy. My girlfriend rarely takes compliments about her appearance well. <laughs> I'll say, you look beautiful. And she goes, oh, you're just saying that. <laughs> I said, no, I'm serious. Yeah, whatever. And then she'll walk away. I'm serious, honey. And uh, no, she won't accept it the way I mean it. And I think she thinks I'm just buttering her up or something. But I always mean it. <laughs> and she never accepts it. So the point is, at least... It's not going in the wrong direction. I don't really care if she doesn't believe me. 
I'm saying it in a way, I mean, I do care. I'm saying it in a way that is positive, that is something that I, I want her to know about herself. And when you share something like that with somebody, you're beautiful, you're smart, I care about you. Here, I got this for you. I was thinking of you. It's a way to strengthen the relationship. And this is the strongest relationship I've ever been in. This is the best, healthiest, most non-toxic relationship I've ever been in. And it's all because I learned the lessons I'm talking about today. How do you treat someone else? What is the golden rule? How do you want to be treated? I want somebody to control me. I mean, if that's you, you know, you have to be careful that someone else may not want to be controlled. Most people, I think, don't want to be controlled. Most people don't want to feel like they are um, under somebody else's thumb all the time or scrutiny all the time. I used to make people meet my standards. You have to meet my standards. I wouldn't say those words, but I would certainly behave that way. They don't meet my standards. They drink too much. They don't meet my standards because they eat a lot of junk food. They don't meet my standards because they wear those kind of clothes. That was kind of who I was, highly judgmental. And when you snap out of that and you start focusing on yourself, well, if I have a problem with it, (laughs) it's my problem, not theirs. Why would I make them feel bad for something that I have a problem with? That's just redirecting the focus. I'm going to put it back on myself. I'm going going to focus on what I want for myself. Okay, well, let's just say that you don't like what they're doing. What do you do then? then what would you do if I told you that they're never, ever going to change? That's where I go with that too. It's like, okay, that person's never, ever going to change. So what am I going to do about it now? Am I going to try to change them? Because if I do that, a love and connection will erode. Uh, So then what? Well, if I can't change them, then I have to make a decision for myself. I have to take responsibility for my own life and do what I think is right for me. And um, during the end of my marriage, that's exactly what I remember saying to myself. I said, you know what? If I have a problem, that's my problem. It's my, my problem with acceptance. It's my problem with allowing her to be who she is. It's my problem that I can't let her be happy doing what she wants. And so if I have a problem with that, why don't I just leave? Why don't I just get out of this marriage? That was my thought. And that was a good question, Paul. <laughs> Why don't you just get out of this marriage and stop bothering her with your inability to accept her? And I really sat with that for like, I don't know, 15 seconds because it hurt. And I said, wait, 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 I don't think I can uh, leave. Well, then are you going to stay and continue to make her feel bad and put her down? Well, no, I don't want to do that either because I already discovered that's emotionally abusive and It makes me feel sick now that I put myself in her shoes and imagined what that would feel like if that were me. And so what are you going to do, Paul? Just challenging myself. He said, well, I don't want to leave. Then you need to accept her, man. You need to accept her. You need to accept who she is because she's never going to change. And I'm not saying who she was was bad. I'm saying that it was important for me to accept that that person would never change. That's how I came to the conclusion of who I needed to be and how I needed to show up. Because once you accept that the person that you may have a problem with will never change, it forces you to make a decision. 
It forces you to take responsibility for your life. And I told myself, well, then maybe I should just leave. And then an explosion happened in my brain. (laughs) Not literally, but that's what it felt like. I said, well, I don't want to leave. I don't want to destroy this. Well, then you better learn to accept people for who they are, damn it. And I did. And at that moment, I just decided to accept her for who she was. And it was too late for our marriage. She had already sealed her heart shut from me. And she needed to. It's a good thing she did. Because she needed to protect herself. She needed to get away from me. Even though I was in the midst of healing and changing. I mean, I finally realized, I finally discovered that I was a hurtful person. I was abusive. And when I discovered that, I immediately stopped. And I immediately supported who she was. Who she is. Who she wanted to be. I immediately started supporting her happiness. I decided that I was going to accept her as she is. And that changed my life. It changed me because I finally decided that it was important to support someone's happiness and whatever makes them happy in order for you to be happy. Because as soon as you try to control someone, that's not supporting their happiness. That's making them do what you want them to do so that you'll be happy. But in reality, as they become unhappy, so do you. Today's sponsor is BetterHelp. If you haven't heard about them yet, I'll be surprised, uh, or you're a new listener to this show and you haven't heard me talk about them, but they are right in alignment with what we do here, trying to improve your mental health and well-being. It is something that they do very well because they are full of good people wanting to help you through any challenge that you're going through. BetterHelp is online therapy. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Like all the stuff I'm talking about today about focusing on yourself, what a great way to do it just to talk to somebody and share your challenges and try to figure out where the issues lie inside you. And I know there are some people that are very hard to accept and maybe you need to talk about that too. I can't accept this person's behavior. Help me out. BetterHelp can help you if you are feeling stretched thin and burnt out. Let therapy give you the tools to find more balance in your life. Sometimes we're stuck with these problems and we don't know how to solve them. And we just need somebody to help us narrow down what and where and how to deal with these issues so we can get through them and feel better inside ourselves. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Head over to betterhelp.com forward slash brain. You'll get 10% off your first month going to that URL. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash brain. Continue the path toward being your best self. All right, I want to get to this email. It's all about judgment. Let's see uh, where we go with it. This person wrote, Mr. Coliani, I read through your post about being judgmental, how it hurt your first relationship. I make constant judgmental comments to my wife, and I feel I've already passed the point of no return. We've been married about a decade, and our children are a few years old now. The pregnancy was complicated by bed rest, and I was emotionally unavailable for my wife during this time due to work and my own fears throughout throughout the pregnancy. My wife tells me that she doesn't enjoy talking to me and ensures that our conversations are kept to a minimum 
to complete household tasks and child rearing. After having kids, my emotional maturity has expanded exponentially and I actually catch and stop myself from saying things that may be hurtful. My question is, what is the best way to learn how to be emotionally available? Is it through therapy? Am I pretty much hardened emotionally due to my childhood and have a mentality of shut your mouth and do your job and never tolerated venting complaining well? Uh, that's the end. That's the end of the email. Thank you so much for sharing that. It is right on target. This is why I read this email today about what we're talking about today. And just a quick uh, answer. Therapy is always helpful. You know, I, I promote therapy on the show. And for those that want to work in between therapy or can't afford it or aren't taking it for other reasons, I do my best. I do my best to help you through whatever you're going through and uh, just give you my input. And my input now is your question, can you learn to be emotionally available through therapy? I'm sure you can. Find the right therapist and they'll help you out. I'll give you what I would do if you're not going to take that route or if you want to use uh, some of what I say in addition to therapy. You said you're pretty much hardened emotionally due to your childhood and have a mentality of shut your mouth and do your job and you never tolerated venting and complaining well. Okay, so when somebody else vents and complains, you have this thought of just shut your mouth. Just do your job. Just, uh, you know, don't complain about it. Just do what you're told or whatever. That thought comes in your head, and it's probably not in your own voice. It's probably in somebody else's voice, whether it's dad or mom or somebody else. And so what ends up happening is we repeat these cycles or loops of um, audio, of how we're raised, our conditioning in our present day. And we think this is how we're supposed to be. It's that uh, closed box that we have created of our reality that I talked about in a previous episode. And so we have this small box of reality that we believe is the totality of how we're supposed to show up in the world. These are the rules. I know these are the rules because this is how I was brought up or this is how I was told that we're supposed to think or I came up with these thoughts myself, but they're still based on how we're brought up and what we've learned in our peer groups and all that stuff. I mean, we all know this, but my approach is to always ask the question, whose voice is that in? So if you hear it in your head, shut your mouth and do your job. Whose voice is that in? Let's just say it's your dad's. That's my dad's voice. He used to say that all, all the time. And well, it worked for us because it made me a hard worker and I make good money. And uh, that's how I was brought up. So it must be a functional and maybe even healthy way to live. And my question is, well, did you have a loving, wonderful, happy relationship with your dad? I think that would be my first question because if you said no, he always brought the hammer down on us. He was always such a disciplinarian and that was just the way it was. And then I would ask you, well, is that kind of relationship, is that the kind that you want to have with your significant other, the people you care about? I mean, you might say yes, but that's my question. Do you want that kind of relationship? And I'm, and I'm not necessarily talking to the person who wrote, although I am, but to anyone that has that voice in their head that is, I don't know, limiting their experience, making life a little bit more difficult than it needs to be, 
this person said he was highly judgmental for for his entire marriage, I guess, or in maybe his entire life. But in his relationship, it caused a problem, and now it's probably hanging by a string. From what he said, we just we exist together in so many words, and so that's why I asked the question: Whose voice is that in? Because we have these thoughts in our head. Why don't they just shut their mouth? Whose voice is that? Is that yours? Were you born that way? I'm kind of challenging you right now. Were you born so that um, you felt that other people should just shut their mouth? Or were you conditioned that way? Were you programmed that way? I mean, we, we know the answer. The answer, it comes from someone else. It comes from somewhere else. And the person who wrote, it looks like they figured that out. They, they figured out that that's not who I want to be anymore. I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to be critical of the people I love. Because look what it does. So there must be something, um, I don't want to say wrong, but certainly unhealthy, certainly harmful in what I'm doing today. So I need to change that. And it looks like he did. So what's the best way to learn how to be emotionally available? Ask yourself those two questions. Make sure that your source is a healthy um, and nurturing source because with relationships they all require nurturing if you don't nurture a relationship and you are critical of a relationship and you're judgmental of the people in that relationship then that is the opposite of relating to each other that is the opposite of growing and strengthening the bond and making the relationship as safe and warm and comfortable and happy as it could be you're either contributing to it or you're taking from it or you're in the middle somewhere. And I'm not putting any of these down. Depends on what kind of relationship you want. If you want to be unhappy, I would recommend taking from it. How do you take from it? Be critical, judgmental, and put the people that you care about down. Make them feel like idiots. Make them feel like they can't do anything right. I hope you don't do that. Because relationships won't last. And if they do last, they will be devoid of connection. And so what can you do? What can you do? What should you do? Nurturing is the direction. Nurturing, compassion, empathy. Again, we all know this stuff. Of course, uh, if you want somebody to be in your life, you have to nurture the relationship. You have to show them how special they are and how much worth they are to you and how worthy they are as individuals. You want to follow that path? Inside you might say, you want to follow that path? That's crazy. Uh, I don't recommend that at all. In fact, I'm against it and I should tell this person not to do it because it's just stupid and they're going to be a failure. But do you say that? No. <laughs> Hopefully you don't. You don't say, well, you'll be a failure if, if you follow that path. You might say something like, okay, go for it. If that's what you want to do, I support you. I'm not saying this works for every scenario and there are exceptions, but uh, if you want to nurture the relationship and see the equals around you, see people as equal around you, then supporting their path, even though you think it might not work out, is a way to nurture the relationship and allow them to be who they are. That's what I teach in Healed Being. You allow them to be who they are. And in order to do that, you have to have courage. You have to have confidence that things are going to work out and you have to have trust. And so this is 
uh, something I want to address with this person is that what's the best, I mean, his, his question is, what is the best way to learn how to be emotionally available is to trust someone. That may not be the best way, but I'm giving you a way to trust them. What does that mean? That means if they say, look, I want to do this because it would make me happy and I believe it's the best thing to do. And you think to yourself, I know that's not the best way. In fact, that's stupid. So I better put my fist down right now and deny them that. That's in your mind. But what do you say? Well, if you were nurturing and supportive and had trust and you trusted their process, what would you say instead? That's the question. If you fully trusted someone else, what would you say? Even if you were scared, like, oh my God, that's so scary, but I trust you. And if I trust you 100%, then I know things are going to work out. Well, you might say, I trust them 100%, but things may still not work out. This involves trust too. If I trust you 100% to do something and it doesn't work out, I have to trust 100% that we'll find a way. If it doesn't work out, we'll find a way through it. I've had to do this in my relationship when I was married. When we got broke, I had to trust that we'd find a way through it because if I didn't, then I would be miserable and depressed and I wouldn't want to be here. Because what's the point? Because I wouldn't believe that uh, it would get any better. But I decided to trust that we would get through this. Just like I would um, trust my partner. If my partner says, this is what I want to do. And I say, oh my God, that's so expensive. And she says, we'll find a way. Then I'd say, okay, let's do it. And then I would uh, trust the process. And that involves trusting the person. You trust the person, you trust the process, and guess what? Yes, I know, it can fail, but what did you do? You nurtured the relationship. And again, I'm not saying this works in every scenario with every person, but how do you nurture a relationship? You trust the person and trust the process that that person is laying out. And that shows them that you are the kind of person that cares How does that show that you care? It shows you trust them with your life. I mean, I know it may not be life and death, but I'm putting my life, my future in your hands. How does this open you up emotionally? It makes you very vulnerable. Because if you're in this vulnerable space where somebody else has control, That can be a very scary place. And if you're vulnerable, you're so much closer to the emotions that are way down there that just want to come out. I like to think of an emotional well or pool inside of us where all of our emotions are. Happiness, sadness, anger, fear, joy, and bliss. All of these emotions are in the same place. And when you deny or repress one emotion, you are also denying and repressing the others. So if you prevent yourself from feeling anger, you probably also prevent yourself from feeling what could be happiness or even peace. And so it's not always a good idea to do, to repress everything because you're also repressing the other stuff that are in the same emotional well or pool. 
And the reason I'm saying that is because when you become vulnerable, what you're doing is you're uh, unlocking the door to the pool. If you want to call it a pool, if you're going to the pool now, you know, like the gym or school or YMCA or whatever, I'm going to go to the pool, but inside you have that, that emotional pool. And if you have locked it up and you have been devoid of emotion for a long time, not so much that you're depressed, but you've just avoided having them or minimized them as much as you can and just uh, made your life about work and uh, schedules and organizing and control. If you've done that, then you may not have allowed the full breadth of your emotional states out. You may not have allowed certain emotions to come to the surface and experience it, or you only allowed certain ones. And when you do that, it is usually uh, where there can be an extreme of those things. So if you've only allowed anger to come out, that could be like extreme anger. It could be like a rage or a buildup, and then you explode. If you don't have access to the full emotional pool, or at least at least allow yourself access to that full emotional pool, then what ends up happening is that you experience these fluctuations that are unregulated. These fluctuations of, of emotion or your, your emotional state that's unregulated. And um, this is what happens with people that are like controllers. Controllers control their own emotional states. They don't want to show people how they feel. Well, some of them do. Some of them say, I'm so angry and they'll say it, but it's usually to control someone else. I need to control you. And if I show you my anger, this is how I control you. And uh, this is probably what this person has done. I don't know if he was always angry, but being judgmental, that's a, a great way to control someone. I'm going to judge you and you'll feel guilty or you'll feel bad. So you'll change and that will make me feel better. But where does that come from? That comes from probably fear. In fact, um, fears are one of the things that cause you to be judgmental. Because what would happen if you weren't? What would happen if I wasn't? If I wasn't judgmental, then they would do anything they wanted. Right. Do you trust them to do anything they want? No. (laughs) That might be why you're judgmental as well. So it involves trust. And you might ask yourself, well, I can't trust. I was brought up not to trust others. I got to do this job myself or I got to tell somebody else how to do it. I'll figure this out and I'll tell them how to do it or, you know, whatever. I got to control or change them so that they'll do it the way I'm comfortable with. But why do you do that? Because you don't trust how it will come out or you are afraid of how it will come out or both. What is the outcome? And if you're afraid of the outcome or don't trust the outcome you get, then you're more likely to be controlling or even emotionally abusive, which is probably one and the same. Uh, Sometimes it is. And judgmental, which is emotionally abusive. And this is what happens. You become this critical person that's hard to be around because you want to control the outcomes and you want to control the people to get the outcomes you want. And when you do that, that's not nurturing. It's taking away from the relationship. It's eroding the relationship. And so in order to get to a space where you are more emotionally available, I believe you have to be very vulnerable. Very vulnerable in the sense that you might say to yourself, I would normally be against this and I would normally be judgmental and I would normally say something to make them feel bad or guilty or change their mind. But this time I'm going to let that go, let them be, 
and see what happens. It truly is riding the wave and waiting to see where it takes you. And it can be very scary for a controlling person or a judgmental person. And sometimes that can be one and the same person. A controlling person is a judgmental person. A judgmental person is a controlling person. And uh, that leads to taking away from the relationship. In the case of trying to be emotionally available for somebody you care about, if you can trust them, if you can tell yourself, I trust them, even though it may not work out for me, if you can say that and you can just go with it and see what happens, what you end up doing is connecting with probably fear inside of you, probably resistance inside of you, but you also open the door to that emotional pool, which is not only open for you, but open for them as well. And if somebody is able to connect with you at that deeper level, you'll feel it. And if you can feel them connecting with you and wanting to connect with you that way and, and wanting to be closer to you because you've opened that door and you've let them see a little bit more of yourself at that deeper level, what you'll end up discovering is that it feels really good to be in that space with someone else that you trust. Because when you do that, you create a, a, a stronger bond because you're showing them that uh, even though you're afraid, you're going to let them in. And when they feel like they've been let in, they are more open to you and more vulnerable with you. And what you used to resist, it can fade away, it can dissipate. And if your resistance dissipates, your defensiveness might go away. You might become more open and willing to share things and willing to show somebody the, the parts of you that you may not necessarily feel good about, letting them see the authentic you. When you do that, when you open that door and they are able to connect with you at that deeper level, you start to feel it inside of you. But the people who can't connect with you emotionally unless they have uh, antisocial personality disorder or some other personality disorder, if they don't have a personality disorder and they are able to open that door to themselves and you, they'll feel closer to you. And because you sense their closeness, I mean, you can hear it in their words and you can see it in their body language. When you feel that and see that and sense that closeness in all these ways, your heart's going to open up a bit more. And when it opens up, you'll realize that your controlling and judgmenting, judgmental and critical nature all this time has been pushing people away. And you once believed that that was the right way to be, but noticing that uh, this other way of behaving, of opening the door to your heart or your emotional pool, is bringing them closer. It allows you to be closer to them and closer to yourself and more vulnerable inside yourself so that you can feel even uh, more connected to yourself. And that brings out some emotional stuff. <laughs> and uh, you might have some stuff to work on. You might have some old trauma in there. Old trauma can come up when you open that door and let things kind of rise up and inside, inside of you. When they rise up inside of you, you get to identify them. Like, what am I feeling right now? You ask yourself that. What am I feeling? I'm feeling kind of sad. Why am I feeling sad? What's that sadness about? You get to address that stuff. Because we go through life sometimes uh, closed off from ourselves. Like, I don't want to deal with that. 
I don't want to deal with that emotion. I don't want to deal with that painful memory. And when we do that, we close off other parts of ourselves as well, because anything that feels vulnerable to us, you know, some people, I'm not talking to everyone here, but especially to this person who wrote anyone that's in that position, anyone that feels like they need to protect themselves isn't experiencing the totality of what we can experience emotionally. And that limits our perceptions and limits our ability to connect with others. So we could walk around in a protective or defensive state and that causes us to be critical of others and judgmental because we want the outcomes we want. We don't want to ride that wave and see where it takes us. We just want what we want so we control. And so I'm kind of dancing around the question that he asked right now, but I'm not because everything I'm saying is, in my opinion, absolutely true. Open the door connect with yourself, allow them to connect with it too. That might mean sharing your fears, sharing your guilt, sharing your embarrassment, being very vulnerable. It's all about vulnerability, sharing what you feel ashamed about. And uh, when you do, you share the deepest parts of yourself and it's very risky. And that's the key. Vulnerability is risky. Risk is emotional because you have fears. If you take a risk, you have fears, most likely. You, you have fears that it won't work out. That's why it's called a risk. There's a possibility it won't work out. My secret ingredient or secret formula for getting through life and allowing myself to feel the full totality of all my emotional states is taking the risk knowing I might not get what I want, I might not succeed, and it could be a huge failure. And yes, that means I could be risking intolerable emotional pain. That's the risk. And what I found is that the more I do that, the more rewarding life is. I'm not saying that you need to risk this to experience intolerable emotional pain. I'm saying when you are vulnerable enough to allow yourself to fail, to allow outcomes to happen without your control and outcomes to happen that you don't want. When you allow all these things to happen, what you end up experiencing is the full totality of yourself. And that includes how you feel. That includes your emotions at the deeper level. That includes your deepest emotions, knowing there's a risk of failure. This reminds me of a, a game I played when I was younger the video game that um, it was so easy, it was very hard. I forget what it was. It was something. It was very hard to crash or die or something like that. And I got so bored <laughs> playing it because there was no risk. There was no risk of death or dying. The only challenge was getting more points or something. And I, I mean, some games are fun like that. But there was just something about this game that because there was no risk, I didn't feel rewarded and I got uh, to the point where it was just so boring that I had to quit. It might have been a, like a car racing game and I would play it and play it and think, oh, this is kind of fun. But then after playing it for a while, you know, I could just um, smash against the wall and my car doesn't fail. It just keeps going. <laughs> I get first every time and, I, and it's so easy to, to play this game and I, I, I can't flip over. My car never dies. What's the point? And so I learned that working for something and allowing the option 
of failure is actually part of experiencing life in general. Now, I'm not saying that it's fun to fail. I'm not saying that uh, you should fail. I'm saying that when there is a risk, you are more likely to connect with the deeper parts of yourself. And if you take out all the risks in a relationship and say, well, I don't want any risks, so I'm going to control this person. I'm going to control the outcomes so everything always works out for me. What you end up with is everyone around you feeling drained and feeling like they can't do anything right. And you being so tightly wound up because you're trying to control all this stuff that you lock the door to that emotional pool and you lock the door to vulnerability and being able to connect with others because the world is about you and you alone. And so to this person who wrote, I'm not trying to put you down for that. I'm not saying that you're a bad person. I'm saying that you were probably programmed in a long, a long time ago to do these things and the voices in your head that say, I'll just shut up, you know, tell her to shut up or whatever. Those aren't your voices. And if it's not your voice, it's somebody else's. And if, and is that person a good source of programming for you that a good source for you to rely upon to live your life that way? And what you'll discover as well is when you ask yourself, what would happen if I chose not to listen to that voice? Some fears will probably come up. Um, and then you follow up with that question. Did I want to, uh, I mean, did I want to not listen to that voice? Did I want to do something else aside from listen to that voice? And why did I want to not listen to that voice? Or why did I want not to listen to that? Something like that. Why did I not want to listen to that voice? And when you ask yourself that question, you'll discover how you really wanted to feel and how you really wanted to think. I just wanted to play. That might have been what you said. Or I just wanted to feel trusted. I just wanted to feel loved. I just wanted to feel worthy. Something like that is going to come up. And then you'll realize what you're probably taking away from others when you're critical and judgmental of them. So somewhere in what I said is something that will help you. <laughs> Again, I kind of danced around some issues, but I really believe I'm getting to the heart of the matter. And when you get to the heart of the matter, you'll be able to connect with others, nurture relationships, and discover that when you trust the outcomes to work out with other people, when they make decisions and you say, okay, let's go with your decision. When you trust those outcomes and you work things out, it doesn't always work out the way you want it, but you end up nurturing what you have. And that usually creates such a strong foundation that as you work together more and more, you start trusting each other more and more, and then people will want to hear what you have to say. It's a process. It's a lot of healing sometimes. And it sounds like this person who wrote has already started the healing process. And uh, when you say that your wife doesn't enjoy talking to you and ensures that your conversations are kept to a minimum and only to complete household tasks, my advice regarding this is to support her being herself and make no expectations of her whatsoever. Don't make her feel like she has to hug you. Don't make her feel like she has to say thank you. Don't make her feel like she has to say goodnight to you. Just support wherever she is and be there for her if she needs you. That's really what it comes down to. Support wherever she is, even if she doesn't want to talk to you. Hey, you don't want to talk to me? I totally get it. I've been judgmental and critical. I completely understand why you wouldn't want to ask me that question or whatever. 
I completely understand. I wouldn't want to either. After what I put you through? No, I, I totally get it. And then back off, you know, walk away or say, if you need me, I'll be over here. You know, I'm, I'm willing to have any conversation you want, but I completely understand if you don't want to talk about that. And just support that. And don't give her the puppy dog eyes. Don't look at her and say, are you sure we can't work things out? Because she needs to feel like you don't expect anything of her, of her anymore. She needs to feel like you support where she is. And when you do that and you expect nothing of her and she feels that, you're going to at least maybe make some headway as far as being able to nurture what you have and maybe even help save what you have. It's hard to say. What I say in healed being is always the same is if they still have love in their heart, there's a chance. If she still still has love in her heart for you, if she hasn't sealed her heart shut, if she still has some love in her heart for you, then there's a chance. You just have to show up as supportive of where she is. And of course, not being judgmental, not being critical and accepting that you may not get what you want and trusting her, trusting her process and trusting the process. It will go a long way. I hope this helps. Thank you for writing. And thanks for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank our patrons of the week, Larry, Jamie, Angel, Chris, Michelle. So grateful for you. Thank you so much. Uh, I've had somebody, wow, Sandra made a donation. She's made a donation before. Sandra, you donated two or three years ago. And I remember you bought the safe system for anxiety. And uh, we had to go through some technical stuff. But she donated. Thank you for donating again. It's very generous. I don't know what you're hearing. You must appreciate it, <laughs> but I am very grateful for your donation. Thank you once again for donating. I hope you're getting a lot of value from the show and from the safe system. I never talk about it, but that's another product I have. And if you value the show like these people do and Sandra does head over to more tob.com and there are ways to give back. And uh, I appreciate all the patrons that are in the program. Thank you again. I read different names every week. And thanks again for your donation, Sandra. And for a show on how to deal with difficult relationships, I talk about judgment and control and emotional abuse over there, over at loveandabuse.com. That's my other podcast. I've been doing it since 2019. Lots of valuable stuff over there for relationships. And if you feel like you're the difficult one in the relationship, or you've discovered that, or they've told you that you are, I have a program called Healed Being over at healedbeing.com. First four lessons are free. Don't need a credit card or anything. Just sign up and uh, start the process and you'll see if you resonate with the lessons. And if you do, you can continue and get a support group and all that stuff. So head over to healedbeing.com if you're looking to change behaviors about yourself and maybe even save a relationship. And finally, thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And just a reminder, I forget if I said this in this episode. This doesn't happen often, but I forget if I said this in this episode Whenever I have like a judgment or criticism of somebody that I care about, typically it'll only be my girlfriend because she's the only one that's this close to me in my life. She'll do something or say something and maybe a judgment or criticism will pop up in my head. The first thing I do is not do or say anything. <laughs> I don't just say it out loud. I'll actually stop myself and repeat the words. It's kind of my mantra. If I have a problem with her, it's my problem, not hers. Again, I forget if I said this earlier, but it's a great reminder. It's a great reminder for me, someone who used to be hurtful, difficult, emotionally abusive in my relationships. This is the safest, happiest I've ever been in a relationship uh, to, for her to be safe with me. That's something that's never happened in my, in my previous relationships. 
So that's what I remind myself. I've done a lot of healing for the last 15 years of old behaviors. I had to change those old behaviors because not only were those behaviors hurtful to them, but the continual thinking and obsessive thinking that I kept doing about them wanting to control them, wanting them to do something different was a burden to me. It was constantly on my mind. They were stressful. I had to control. I had to judge and I had to make them conform to my standards and talk about taking away from a relationship. I kept taking and taking and dissolving good relationships in my life. And I decided no more. I'm the common denominator. I need to fix this and I need to work on myself. And so now after all this healing that I've done, all these tools I created, I take my own advice and I've come up with the mantra. If I have a problem with them, it's my problem, not theirs. And that keeps me from saying anything to them. And it forces me to focus on myself and what I'm going to do for me. And usually it comes down to why can't I accept them for who they are? That's really what it comes down to is why can't I accept that person for who they are? Yeah, but if they're doing something that bothers me. I'll still come back to me. Well, if it bothers you, then take a walk. <laughs> or if it bothers you that much and you can't accept them for who they are, maybe you need to leave. And then I'll have an argument with myself and I'll say, I don't want to leave. <laughs> and then I'll realize, oh, wait a minute. The bigger picture here is everything else is great in the relationship. Uh, you need to be more loving. You need to be more nurturing. You need to be more supportive because they're a separate person with their own thoughts and ideas and values and aspirations in life. So why don't you just let them be, Paul? This isn't always what happens when I think about this. But if it comes up, that's the kind of dialogue I'll have in my mind just to make sure that uh, old behavior never shows its ugly face again. And I've been doing pretty darn good for the last decade or so because I've done a lot of healing. And that's what I've done for a long time, reflecting and healing and thinking about this stuff constantly and realizing what is hurtful and what is not and what is selfish and what is not and what is fear-based and what is not. And then what it might come down to is telling myself, well, I don't care if you're afraid, just do it anyway. You know, face the fear and do it anyway. I don't care if you're afraid of that outcome, just let it happen and see what happens. And uh, that brings up some resistance, but I have to trust them. I have to trust the process. It doesn't mean I'll never have a say. It just means when it comes down to it, what's the bigger picture for me? The bigger picture for me is nurturing what I have with people I love. Thanks for listening today. Always keep an open mind. That's how you step into your power so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.